Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 569 with Dr. Josh Claypow. Dr. Josh has some great perspective in terms of how to thrive in times of stress and uncertainty. He's called Dr. Disaster because he's brought into situations where there are disasters, but he doesn't really like that nickname. You'll hear about that more, including one, why you shouldn't feel guilty about being upset, two, how to quickly reboot your fatigued brain, and three, the four pillars of excellent physical and mental health. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F569. Now here's Josh's story. Dr. Joshua C. Claypow is a licensed clinical psychologist and a performance coach. He's also an adjunct associate professor of public health at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and the author of Living Smart, Lifestyle Change Made Simple. Dr. Claypow works extensively with individuals and organizations in the areas of performance optimization. His work focuses on leveraging behavioral science strategies to help both individuals and organizations achieve strategic goals. From athletes to executives, from startups to multinational companies, Dr. Claypow works with clients nationwide to help bring the power of behavioral science to human performance. Dr. Claypow was named by Yahoo Finance as a top 20 entrepreneur to watch in 2020. We're watching and listening right now. And he's been featured in Thrive Global for his approach to performance coaching. He's married with two children in college and resides in Birmingham, Alabama. Big thanks to Josh for sharing his time with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Josh. Josh, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's my pleasure, Pete. Good to be with you. Well, I understand that you are a doctor and you have the nickname Dr. Disaster. How did this name come about? And can you tell us a story about when you got to make a cool impact in the midst of a difficult time for people? Okay, yes. First of all, it is not a marketing ploy or scam. PR had... people said it's going to be hot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, 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 no. So I got this name back during Hurricane Katrina, actually. So I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And one of my areas of interest is disaster mental health. But I've also worked most of my academic career in a school of public health. And so a lot of what I was doing there was crisis communication, how to help groups of people during times of disaster or times of crisis, let's say that. Well, 
as we started getting Hurricane Katrina come through, there was interest from the local media and then from the broader national media, because I'm down here in the Southeast, on how do people cope? How do people deal with terrible things that happen? And, and so I did a lot of stuff locally and nationally in the media on Hurricane Katrina and coping with death and rebuilding, etc. Well, as you might imagine, we had more hurricanes. There was Gustav, and then there was tornadoes. And pretty much every time, and my kids were young at the time, anytime something bad happened, you'd see me on local TV or hear me on the local radio. And one of the media folks at uh, the university where I worked with, and he just one day he said, he said this, he's like, damn, you're like Dr. Disaster. Every time something bad happens, there you are. And I, you know, I said, God, that's depressed. That's terrible. I don't want to be known as, he said, no, 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 I like it. And then my kids who were very young at the time, you know, dad's Dr. Disaster. And ever since then, <laughs> you know, the kind of the line is people say, we see you on TV sometimes. I said, yeah, pretty much if something bad happens, there's a decent shot that you'll see me or hear me somewhere because that is one of the things that I do is help people through crisis. So yes, I am Dr. Disaster. I wear it as a badge of honor in that I help people. I don't like the connotation of what it means because here comes, it's almost like, oh God, here comes Josh. Something bad is going to happen. And I have to remind them, no, something bad has happened. Here comes Josh to help. Okay. Well then can you tell us, and you've, you've seen and helped a lot of people in a lot of disasters. How does this current uh, COVID pandemic crisis situation how is it similar to other disasters and how is it unique? It's unique in many ways. So let's talk about how it's similar. I use the phrase crisis is in the eye of the beholder. And what I mean by that is we talk about disasters and crises and we talk about them almost as if there is a formal definition. And if you think about it, a disaster or a crisis could be a global pandemic could be also the breakup of a marriage or the loss of a job or your dog dies. Crisis is all relative. And so one of the things that is very similar is that we are in a state of crisis from the sense of there's lots of change, there's lots of uncertainty, and there are lots of unpleasant things either that have happened are happening or are likely to happen. And if you think about that, that holds everything from a tornado that's come through to a sick pet, to a relationship on the rocks, to a global pandemic. And the reason that that holds true is what remains constant is we're humans and the human factor remains constant in how we react to threat, uncertainty, discomfort, discomfort globally, you know, everything from emotional discomfort to physical discomfort. All of those are sort of stress responses that happen to us no matter how big or how many different people are affected or if it's just happening to us. I think what is so different about this one is, if I really can think about it, it's two things. One, the global nature of it. What I mean by that is so many people are, are affected unlike tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake where even if it's huge, we can say it happened in this city, this town, this country. That's number one. So it, so many people are in the same situation. The second thing is, while for some people, there's very acute levels of crisis. My loved one is sick. 
my loved one, God forbid, is dying. For many people, the crisis is both a restriction in the freedom, the unknown, will I get sick? And then underlying that, there's sort of two more pieces of the crisis, which is one, financial for many people, and then two, a complete change, prolonged change of how we're living our lives. This is not the storm that blew through and will rebuild. This even, and I dare say this, and this is a little provocative, even after 9-11, the event happened. There, it was horrible. There were longer-term effects, but it didn't come on as slowly, rise as slowly, peak and stay for as many people. And that is something, frankly, all of us alive right now, with the exception of a few people who lived through the 1917 flu pandemic, none of us have experienced ever. Okay. Well, that sets some context. Thank you. So you say that this you know, anxiety, this experience, it really does impact just kind of the way we, we think and operate and, and, and feel each day. Like, like what are some of the, the telltale signs like, oh, this is actually normal that I'm thinking, feeling, experiencing this, given that we're in the midst of a crisis situation. A lot of people can recognize when they're under profound stress. They'll say, I feel stress. I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I have a headache. I have a backache. My stomach hurts. My temper is short, those kinds of things. But the term that I like to use, Pete, that I think many people feel but they don't equate it with stress or levels of stress because for a lot of people, it's not super high levels of stress. It's just kind of what I call, it's not low, it's moderate. It's there, but we're able to sort of function. It's not, it, the tornado hasn't just come right through. It's, I still get up every day and I'm doing things, but people feel discombobulated. That's my favorite mm -hmm. word to use. That kind of moderate stress, discombobulation. Discombobulation. Okay. We like to use down in the South, we like to call it feeling out of sorts. We're out of sorts. It's not quite right. I feel slightly agitated, slightly irritable, out of sync. I may not be sleeping as well, but I am sleeping. I feel tired. I feel out of rhythm. Sometimes it's feeling almost like a little bit of jet lag, not a ton of jet lag. I see a lot of people feel like, and we've all heard this, what day is it again? Where am I? Mm -hmm. It's that, and that's where the discombobulation comes because while there's peaks and valleys, you know, if you lose a job, then that's high stress. Then you can say, oh my God, I know exactly what's going on. But let's say you've already lost the job and maybe you've, you're managing your books and you're managing your finances and it's kind of okay, it's, it's not good but it's okay. Or let's say you have a job. What people are feeling is, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to manage this. And particularly in those areas where we're much more restricted in our movement, this feeling for a lot of people for the first time in their lives, I can't do what I want to do, which is very, it's unique for Americans, right? It's mm -hmm. very unique. And this came out in the early stages. You've heard the whole hoarding of the toilet paper, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, why are people hoarding toilet paper? Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the grocery store. There was no place in this country, in the U.S. anyway, that shut down all grocery stores. They limited it. They limited how much you could buy. They limited, in some cases, how many people could go in. 
But that's a stressor for our culture, not being able to go where we want to go whenever we want to go and get whatever we want to get. And it creates this sense of, it's a very primitive sense of survival. It puts us kind of into that fight or flight. And we're not even highly quarantined, right? For a lot of us, it's just stay at home. It's not, you know, you will be arrested if you go out. Mm -hmm. And that is very unique to what we're experiencing right now. And I'd love to, because I think you're really speaking to something here, and I keep going back and forth on this in terms of there are times in which I'm like, hey, you know what, this really isn't isn't so bad. I mean, this this is the home I like. This is the family I like. (laughs) You know, my wife and kids, these are people I like. So, you know, it ain't, it ain't so bad. So, so why are you worked up? And then I think back as well, hey, what about in war times, like the soldiers or those under strict, you know, rationing? Uh, I was like, have I become soft? Have we all become soft? And then I, I don't know. It's sort of like I'm, I'm upset with myself for, yes. for being peeved. It's like meta upset. And totally I don't know, like, am, are we weak? And is that bad? Or this what is, should we yeah. think about this, Josh? <laughs> I get blasted on this, although with my clients, I think it's an important when I'm talking with my clients, a lot of times this is what comes up. It's feeling guilty because we feel like we're under siege. Now, I will say this, if you've lost your job and you have no income, and that's happening in all levels of the socioeconomic spectrum, if you've lost your job, what do I do? Then it is, then, then you may have a reason to be quite upset, right? See, this is the thing. If you're upset because you can't go to the grocery store or you can't leave or you have to spend time at home, then you have the right to be upset. Being upset is emotion. It's an emotion. We have the right to feel what we want to feel. It is what we do with it that has the impact. It has the impact on ourselves and it has the impact on the people around us. So for example, if you're feeling, God, this really sucks. I'm here at home. I can't go socialize the way I want to. I can't go to the restaurants I want. And yes, I know I shouldn't feel bad, but I do feel bad. And I, and you kind of get yourself a little bit irritable. And then as a result, you take that on, on your wife and your kids and you're mean and you're cranky. Or maybe you're in a leadership position and you're irritable because of this and you're yelling on the conference calls for everybody to work harder. Now, your justified emotion is having a very unjustified impact on everybody else. This is where managing what you're feeling is far more critical than whether you're feeling it or not. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. It's a great, clear distinction, bright red line there. So then how do we do this? How do we manage how we're feeling? How do we cultivate this mental health and amidst the stuff that's going on up in here? It ain't easy. I can tell you that. And I think one thing people have to carefully open their eyes to where the sources of stress may be coming from. We can all talk about the restriction part. I'm restricted in money. I'm fearful for potentially for my health. Am I going to get sick? Is a loved one going to get sick? They're sort of the obvious ones. But I'll tell you, Pete, those are big sources of stress. But where this thing starts getting exponential is the intersection of work, life, family life, relationships. 
So as you said, there are a lot of us now who are either home with family in a way that none of us have ever been home that way before, or the opposite, we're isolated. Maybe we're not with family and we can't be, we're by ourselves. Those pieces, particularly the family dynamics, well, I'm seeing more relationship issues and you've seen the statistics, the high rates of, of people, particularly in, in China, but in other areas, filing for divorce or et cetera. Et cetera. Oh, I have not yet seen those. Dr. Josh bringing fresh info. Tell us about that. Let me tell you, it makes sense. When you're stuck at home with your partner, whether or not you have kids and you have to be with them every day, the floodlight is on your relationship. And every crack in that relationship, normal, healthy cracks, are going to show. And if you don't deal with them, and I'm not talking about necessarily going to therapy, but if you don't deal with the pet peeves and the things that normally you'd be able to skirt by because you're not spending as much time, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Throw in there for some parents homeschooling. Throw in there for someone like me, two college kids who are now back at home who are not happy about it. They love their mom and dad, but like they want to be at school and you get family stress that absolutely rolls on top of all the other stressors. And what happens? People get tired. Stress starts wearing them down. It starts bleeding over into conference calls that they may be taking for work. The work stress starts bleeding over to family and we got a big stress ball that nobody can point to one thing. And that's mm. what catches people off guard. Yeah. All right. So I think you've very nicely articulated what's going on here, what we're dealing with. So uh, what do we do about it? <laughs> yeah. If you've ever been a parent and you remember when you had a young child, and I'm talking the infant child, the child who was screaming, you know, and you're feeding them every three hours or even a toddler. One of the things I distinctly remember from not being a parent to being a parent, I used to judge the quality of my time in weeks or months. This was a great week. It's a great week. This was a great month. And I quickly remember as a parent, that didn't work, particularly with a young child. It's like, oh my God, this day sucked. You know, like this day was really bad. And what I started to realize was, I need to think about the quality of my time in smaller increments. This was a really good hour. This was a good minute. You know, this was a good <laughs> 10 minutes. Now, I'm not advocating that because of COVID-19, we only live and uh, savor the quality of every minute. But what I do mean is you may have a really bad day because of work, because of finances, because of family, but then you may have an awesome day because you know what? You got to be on three conference calls and spend some time with your spouse in a way that you never got to. Or maybe you got to do a video conference. I mean, we're seeing this reuniting with college friends. My point is we have got to shift. What we have to do is we have to stop trying to live our life right now as if tomorrow it's going to go back to the way that it was. That's what we typically do in crises. What we typically do is we go, okay, if I can just ride this sucker out, if I can just ride this out, it'll be a few days, a few weeks. I'm going to be okay. It's all going to get back to normal. I'm not a doomsdayer here. 
I don't know how long this is going to be, but I can guarantee you that by next week, even with everything open or next month, everything's going to be back to normal. And even if it is, that's probably not the most healthy way to think about it. What we have to do is look at what's given to us right here, right now. What do I have? What do I not have? What am I certain about? What am I not certain about? And how do I maximize that? How do I maximize the fact, I'm just using things that everybody's doing, that I can wear shorts all day long now. Mm -hmm. And that's not saying, Pete, to just look on the rosy side of things. What it's saying is, in order to get a grip, you must find the nuggets of goodness in your life because there is a lot of uncertainty and chaos going on. And if you can cling to those nuggets, what that allows you to do is it allows you to move forward. It allows you to be less stressed, less distressed, sleep better, eat better, etc. And it allows each day to have a little bit of goodness in it, which frankly, to be honest with you as humans, that's about all we need besides food, water, and shelter in order to make it to the next day. All right. So we're noticing these things and, and we're embracing them and, and looking at sort of smaller, shorter time increments. Do you have any other pro tips on how we can go about sort of, you know, noticing and appreciating and, and as opposed to letting these things, you know, pass us right by? You must recognize that, and I know this is it's a little broad brushing because everybody's situation is slightly different. Your brain is going to go offline frequently during this kind of situation. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you're home and you're trying to work in particular, but let's say you're home and you didn't work, you took care of the kids, or even if you have always worked from home, you got all kinds of different things going on right now. There may be people that, you know, that were at home that weren't at home before. You may have never participated on so many video conference calls. You may not have had the dog interrupting you every five seconds. Your brain is going to be distracted in a way that it never has before. One more piece to put in all the news feeds, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in my lifetime, I never remember a daily briefing where updates were actually new information. I mean, if you think about mm -hmm. it, okay. So what that does is our brain can't attend to the task at hand and you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel inefficient. And so what I'm encouraging all of my clients to do and the people that I interact with about every 45 minutes or so, you may notice yourself feeling fatigued. It's time to take a break, not an hour break, but what I call the bathroom break. If you're hydrating properly, you go into the bathroom, you should be going to the bathroom about every hour to 90 minutes. And literally, sometimes I have to remind my clients to put in their schedule to drink water so that they hydrate during the day. Because I got people that I work with that will go nine hours on conference calls and never stop. Mm -hmm. You have to pace yourself. That means taking a minute to literally remind yourself, where am I? What am I doing? What is the task at hand? To take your eyes off the screen and look outside. And it's not an hour of meditation. It's a minute to get your brain back focused to the task at hand. Most of us don't have to do that that frequently throughout our day. Now, I don't know that everyone has to. I can tell you it doesn't hurt. And what I can also tell you is you feel so much more focused 
because your brain comes back online. It's a critical stress management tool that most people don't use and they have to right now. Well, you know, I, I think that's, that's dead on because I, I've just been in many, many times. I'm, I don't know, on news or social media or something. It's just like, what is even happening right now? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, and I, and I have to, to regroup it. And part of it, I think it's so helpful is like, well, would I have days in which I actually write down the key things of the day that that's really helpful to, to remember, oh yes, this is what I meant to do today. And I've kind of forgotten about that and gotten sucked into news or, or, or whatever. And that's a great example of, you might say to yourself, God, normally I never have to, for, I never forget these things. I don't have to write them down. Right mm -hmm. now, your brain is more likely to go offline. And I'll tell you where it has a real, a larger impact. It's not just for you. It's for the people that you interact with. So if you think about it, and, and this is what I was saying, it can cause relationship problems. You know, it's like, hey, I just told you that to make a grocery list. Can you imagine how it impacts your home life, your relationship life, and particularly for work, if you're working from home, how you interact with colleagues, how you interact with your boss. We have to be much more mindful of what our emotions are doing right now. And I love what you said, although it's not pleasant. You have to sit back and go, what? What is going on? That's a very normal response. The difference is you have to do that while you're working, while you're parenting, while you're being a husband or a wife or a spouse or a partner, that is going to make you tired at the end of the day. And that understanding that and then taking action on that, making sure you're hydrated, making sure you're well-nourished, making sure you're writing yourself reminders, making sure that you call a timeout and say, you know what? I don't have the bandwidth, guys. I don't have the bandwidth to do all this today. That kind of communication is critical. Well, so I, I love these particular bits of sort of in the moment recognizing and uh, good communication with folks. What are some of the habits or recurring practices you recommend that make a world of difference in, in kind of boosting our overall mental health and resilience and then specifically uh, just providing a large boost of rejuvenation. I guess, where do I get the most bang for my buck and when it comes to self-care? Josh, that's what I want to know. So there's a couple things, and they are things that we all know, but that most of us, even those of us who may have done this before, are not, and this is also unique to this particular situation. So the number one thing you'll hear is make sure you're getting exercise. And everybody, uh, you know, the exercise, I know about the exercise. Let me tell you why exercise is super important. Number one, for a lot of people who've exercised regularly in the past, their gyms are closed, right? And so you got a lot of people who are used to having that metabolic boost in the morning or in the afternoon who aren't exercising. That throws off your entire metabolic system if you're an exerciser. If you're not an exerciser, the mental fatigue wears on your body. Being strong physically, and I'm not saying start a crazy exercise program, but just getting the blood flowing actually is super important for your immune system. It's super important to regulate your sleep system. So that exercise that everybody knows about, even if it's just for a walk, Pete, is, is probably one of the best things that you can do. I wish I had another way to say it, 
you got to get out there and exercise. And if you tell me I can't, I can show you five gazillion YouTube videos on different ways to exercise. People are finding the most creative ways to exercise that fit their physical needs, their mental health needs. That's number one. You got to move the body. When it comes to moving the body, I'd love to get your sense for, it sounds like you're emphasizing more so cardiovascular as opposed to strength resistance training or Not necessarily. Okay, lay it on us. A lot of this depends, A, on your health status, B, on your previous exercise history. So do not go start running marathons if you never have before. What you're looking for is physical activity. You want your body moving. You want your muscles stretching. You want your heart rate elevated. Does it have to be all out run or trying to do a thousand pushups? No. If you did that before, more power to you and keep doing it. I'll tell you myself personally, and this has been a big change for me. I was very much into the weightlifting. I went to the gym. I never did anything from home. My gym closed. Uh, I went immediately online to go buy weights. You can't buy weights online, and if they know you can buy them, they're like $1,000 now. And so I was, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'd been dabbling in yoga, just dabbling. I'm now doing yoga six days a week. I would have never done that before. I'm experimenting. So one of the things I would also encourage your listeners is if there's a kind of exercise that you've always wondered about, now is your excuse to try something different. So I think that's absolutely important. It's not a particular kind, but I don't want you sitting in a chair for seven hours a day. It's bad mm -hmm. for you, bad for you. The other thing okay. that is really important, if at all possible, and I'll get to the nutrition part in a second, and I'll do that quickly, is get your vitamin D, get some daylight. If you're inside and the weather provides and allows, step outside. The norms have changed, Pete. The norms have changed. It's okay to hear birds in most companies now in the background chirping while you're on mm -hmm. a conference call. It's very important that we don't sit in one room for eight to 10 hours a day. Get outside, get the fresh air, even if that's every hour taking a two-minute break. You need that natural sunlight both for your metabolic purposes, also to regulate your sleep. And if you don't believe me, Try and experiment. Stay in your room, whatever room you're in. If you're not, this is assuming you're not quarantined in a room, stay in your room for six hours versus get outside every hour for, for two to three minutes. You'll feel much better. The mm -hmm. other piece that people neglect is proper hydration and nutrition while they're at home. We need to drink water. We need to eat good food. If we don't drink and we don't pee and we eat crappy food, we're going to feel bad. I'm not telling you that you have to become a vegan. I'm not telling you that you have to get completely clean on your health or on your food, but the better you can do, the better you're going to feel. I can't tell you how many people right now are saying, God, I'm snacking. I'm snacking. Why are you snacking? Because you're sitting there and you can see the snack cabinet <laughs> in your own house. You, you know, so these are the kinds of changes. A lot of my clients will say, I already know that stuff. I already know that. And my, my number one comeback is this. Great. Are you doing it? No. How do you feel right now? Like crap. Tell you what. Eat a little bit better. Make sure you drink a lot of water throughout the day. Get your behind outside. Move. And then maybe the last one too is, and I, this is one that is new, something that I haven't seen as much. 
lot of dysregulated sleep cycles. People are kind of going to bed at strange times because they don't have as much of a routine. And when your sleep cycle gets off, it messes everything else up. Try to remain as regimented as you can on a sleep cycle. I don't care if you don't have to get up the next day till nine. Don't stay up till two o'clock in the morning just because. The more consistent your sleep, the better you're going to feel. All right. That's a real nice lineup. Now, when it comes to hydration, how much is enough? Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a psychologist, but this is the classic. And I have one client who I was surprised to hear this. This was somebody, an executive, mostly working from home, who literally would prevent herself from drinking because she was on back-to-back conference calls and she didn't want to be late to the conference call. I'm not kidding. I've been there before. I've had those days, yeah. Well, (laughs) that was every day. And it doesn't take a medical doctor for me to say, what are you doing? Like, that's terrible. Don't do that. You should be going to the bathroom. You know, again, we all have different health states, et cetera, two to three to four times a day to pee. And it should be clear relatively, right? And I'll tell you what, you ask for bang for the buck. Here's the other reason why I want you to drink water or non-alcoholic beverages. If you're peeing every 90 minutes to two hours, guess what you can do when you go into the bathroom? You can take that 90 minute to two hour break to also reset your brain, to take the deep breaths, to come back to a good Mm -hmm. place. I call it the recalibration bio break. And that's what I said. I said, look, if you want to multitask, multitask, go do your business in the bathroom and then take one extra minute in that bathroom to reset, to remind yourself, what day is it? Where am I? What am I going to do? It's these little tweaks like this that allow you to carry on, allow you to power forward. What most of us try to do that is wrong is we try to have the good work ethic. I'm just going to take one more call. I'm just going to do one more recording. I'll skip this lunch. I'll skip this water. I'll power through. And if I do that, then I'll get to the other side. Psychologically, physiologically, and behaviorally, that could not be farther from the truth in non-global pandemic times. It is (laughs) twice as bad in global pandemic times. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, so not, not to get too personal with you, Josh, but uh, I, I'd love to zoom in to that one minute in the bathroom. So you've just urinated. Wow. That's the first time I've said this on the show. All right. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm, a psycho- I'm a psychologist. You can say anything you want here. You've just urinated. What happens in the following minute that can be a great reset in the bathroom? So as I would like to say, you take care of your business. And um, in this day and age, and you, you can do this on either side, either before you wash your hands or after you wash your hands, either way is okay because this is going to involve your brain and you don't have to touch your face to do this. What I really encourage people to do is close their eyes or not, but to take some deep diaphragmatic breaths. And this is, we all know this, and and I'll show you the example I give you, but this is essentially the... Do that three to four times. Now, I get a lot of grief as a psychologist because particularly when I do this in any media, they go, oh my God, this is the psychologist and he's always telling me to deep breathe. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm telling you that is as your stress levels rise, 
your breath shortens. And one of the ways that we know that you can not only relax your physiology, your muscles, relax your muscles, heart rate, blood pressure, but feel relaxed is to slow your breathing down. And the classic example I give people is when you see a little child or even an adult who's kind of panicky, right? We see the little kid, (laughs) what do we tell people to do? Besides calm down, which you should never tell people to do. Mm -hmm. Take a breath. We always tell people, it's okay, just take a breath. Take a few deep breaths. So if we tell people to do that while they're panicking, why wouldn't we do that after we go to the bathroom and we're a little offline? So take three deep breaths, have a nice happy thought, and then wash your hands and get back out in the war zone. Yeah. And it's critical. I have physicians do this before before they ever get back in, whether it's the ER or an OR. I have them do it all the time. I have athletes do it at every time out. It's critical, Pete, that we do it right now because with all distractions alone will take us off offline and we need to be online. The other reason that it's important, if you're not going to do it for you, it changes the way you interact with your spouse or your significant other. It changes the way you interact with your kids, who many of your kids are very discombobulated right now. It also changes the way that you're going to interact on conference calls with your coworkers, your boss, and your direct reports. If you're in a bad place, it's going to show even if you're not quote unquote freaking out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really resonating. All right. So, so that's it then, you know, there's the wash of the hands, there's the deep diaphragmatic breaths, there's the happy thought. And then that that's your minute, eh? It is. Yes. Now here's what I don't want you to expect. One minute's going to last me nine hours. So here's the good and the bad of it. The bad is it's not going to last all day long. One set of diaphragmatic breathing and in your happy thought, but here's the nice thing. It takes a minute to reset. Again, I'll share another thing that I do. Before I ever go on air, before I ever take a client call, before I ever switch from one conference call to the next, I make sure I got at least a minute. I'm a high energy guy. I, I get going a lot. I reset. And most of us, Pete, don't do that because we think that that couldn't have an impact. It's not mm-hmm. a magic pill, but it's what our bodies and our minds need. To stay on track, in addition to all the other things that we talked about, and I mentioned it in passing, but it is it is equally important. Own up to your limits right now. Stop. Do not wear yourself out as a badge of honor, because it does nobody any good. Work hard, but if you're driving yourself into the ground because you think that's great. What I'm going to tell you is that by the time you've driven yourself just short of being into the ground, you're no good for anybody. You Uh didn't do good work at the end. And, you know, I always talk about come to your limit. Don't go past your limit. Come to your limit and then back off. You have to right now. There is this expectation. I must be a super parent, super spouse. I got to show my boss that I'm doing everything. And I got to be great and have fun and exercise and all that kind of stuff. I wish I had a better word. It's crap. We're human. We're not machines. And particularly right now, nobody is firing on all cylinders. Anybody who tells you they're totally dialed in, totally focused, not worried about anything, is either not human or they're lying or in denial or in a lot of denial. Okay. 
Well, thanks for, for laying that out there. Now can you share some of your favorite things that start with a favorite quote? It's from Pema Chodron, who's a very famous author, Buddhist monk, New Yorker, and ex-nurse, actually, before she became a monk. And the quote is, feel the feelings and drop the story. I love this because it's kind of what I was saying in, as we first started talking. You're going to feel in your day all kinds of things. What makes them have an impact is the label, the interpretation, or the story that we associate with those emotions. Right now, we have to feel the feelings and not have so much interpretation of them tied to them because there's going to be so many feelings coming and going. Thank you. So I like that one to just, it's a good one to live by. It's a good one to live by right now. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Okay, this is going to go very opposite what I just said. It doesn't contradict it. What made me become a psychologist was the work of B.F. Skinner. The reason that I loved this was that it shows me not just that we work only for reward, but that our behavior is predictable, is lawful, is on average. There is rhyme and reason to why we do what we do. And what that tells me is that if something is not going right or if something is going right, we can figure it out. We can figure out how to make you feel better, how to make you do something different. And how about a favorite book? I've got two quickly. I'm a sports fanatic and a wonderful book by one of the most coveted international women's soccer players, Abby Wambach, Wolfpack. It's a short read. Related to that book, not from the writing, is Brene Brown's Rising Strong. She's written so many great books. Daring Greatly is one that most people know. Rising Strong, for me, resonated because it was, look, if you're going to live in this life, you're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to get your butt kicked if you're going to live. And you're going to fall down and you've got to figure out not just how to be tough because being tough is not about it. It's about, you use the word self-care, how to get yourself back up on your feet physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually so that you can be strong in the world, which is different than just being tough and guarded and defensive. And Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong, really teaches readers how to do that. So between the two, between having your pack and learning how to rise strong, and then with that quote from Pema Chodron, it's a good way to live. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I'm a less is more guy. My family is, they are Slack and Asana, and they got this organizer and that organizer. And my tool is my calendar. It's electronic calendar. The reason that I use just my calendar is if you look at my calendar, you will see my appointments. Now, you know, your listeners may go, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy? This is my way of removing excess from my brain. It is structure in my day that I can disregard. I have the freedom to disregard anything there. Well, yeah. And I think it's also reassuring in which you can say, oh, 
this is the time of the day in which I'm going to check those things. I need not check them now. There is a designated time in which that's going to occur. So you feel all the more free and resilient to just put those aside for the moment. Yes, I love the way you describe that. Excellent. Okay. And how about uh, a favorite habit? Yeah. If it's just one, it is to exercise. The biggest bang for the buck mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually is moving your body because it has all the physical health benefits that we don't need to go into that everybody knows about. All right. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote it back to you frequently. You've heard the term, don't work harder, work smarter. And that's the one that worked, you know, all the time. The idea that I must work more in order to be successful versus as I get better at what I do, whether it's work, parenting, relationship, it actually gets easier and I may not have to work as hard. And that is a beautiful, wonderful, acceptable thing that you get to have by being good at something. So my point is, it doesn't have to get harder, whatever it is. It can get easier. You could work less and get the same thing done. The one related to that, and it's just aside, is this idea of I have to. What I tell people is you don't have to. There are only a couple things in this world that you have to do. You have to eat. You have to breathe. You have to drink water. Everything else you don't have to. If you make it a choice, then what it allows you to do is bring the power of you to that choice. And that is really important because there are so many things that we do. Most of them are our choice, even if we tell ourselves that we have to. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Social media, Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at, at Dr. Josh K. And so it's D-R-J-O-S-H-K, letter K. If you would like to see my webpage, it's joshclapo.com, last name K-L-A-P-O-W. And my email, my very public email is askdrjoshk at gmail.com. Beautiful. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? We're told all the time to think outside the box if you want to be great at what you do. If you want to be great at what you do before you ever think outside the box, take inventory of what you have inside the box. What do you already know how to do? What, do you, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And I'm talking about reading, writing, gardening, art. Don't spend all of your time trying to be awesome at your job by thinking so far out of who you are that you forget the gifts that you bring to the table automatically. It's okay to think broadly, but don't lose the gifts or the skills that you have nurtured and matured when you're trying to be awesome, because those are your foundation that will allow you to be awesome. All right. Josh, thanks so much for sharing this good word. It's been a treat. I wish you all the best and for yourself and your clients and the disasters are manageable and workable in your lives. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate the opportunity to share this with you and with your 
with your listeners and to everybody. Exercise every day and please wash your hands. I liked so much of what Josh had to say. And I think the thing that really stuck with me the most, actually, personally, it's just been hydration. is like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> Those little things, easy to forget. They make a huge difference. So thanks for the reminder, Dr. Josh. I'm going to be doing just that. Again, if you want to see the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F569. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe and you'll catch our next guest, Shane Snow. He's got some pro tips on how to use stories to persuade and influence and connect. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.